Welcome to another mini-sode of Murder, Myth, and Mystery. I am your host, Mary. I am joined with Sarah. Hello. Pam. Hi. Larissa. Hello. And Brittany. Hey. And Eric's in the background. Okay, today is part one of the John Benet Ramsey story. On December 26, 1996, a six-year-old John Bonet Ramsey was found murdered in her Boulder home in Colorado. The morning starts off with Patsy Ramsey getting up to make coffee around 5.30 a.m. and finds a two-and-a-half-page note on the back of a staircase of the house. The note says John Bonet has been kidnapped and demands 118000 in cash. Patsy Ramsey makes a 911 call, which we just heard. According to the note, the kidnappers would call John Ramsey to give him instructions to deliver the money, which he and Patsy were already working on gathering when the police finally arrived to their home. That call never came. Police began to suspect the parents were somehow involved in their daughter's disappearance, which is actually normal in these type of scenarios. But real quick, we should also call out that there was a lot of critical errors during the investigation. Police didn't do a full search of the property. They didn't seal off the area, and they actually allowed friends, family, and neighbors to come and go. And one detective had John Ramsey's friend Fleet White search the house on his own. At 1 p.m., Fleet and John discovered John Benet's body. Fleet began the search in the basement, and it ended there at approximately, as I said, 1, and she was hidden in a spare room that was used to hide presents for the kids, so it was hardly ever used. And she was found eight hours after the call was made. Now, uh, John Bonet's body was covered in a white blanket. Under this blanket, she had a nylon cord wrapped around her neck. Her wrists were tied up above her head, and she had duct tape covering her mouth. When an autopsy was performed, it was determined that she had died of strangulation and a fractured skull. The autopsy also found that there was no evidence of rape, but there was a possibility of sexual assault. 
John Binet's body had advanced rigor mortis, which led the investigators to believe the time of death was between 10 p.m. on December 25th and 6 a.m. on December 26th. However, because her remains had already begun to exhibit signs of decomposition by the time she was found, investigators believe she died closer to 10 p.m. on Christmas Day. All right, so I'm going to talk about mom and dad. So while neither parents had a history of violence, there is a 12 to 1 probability that a family member or caregiver is responsible in some way when there is a death of a child within the family. So naturally, we must look at mommy and daddy Ramsey as likely suspects. John Ramsey was a businessman, or he is, sorry, he's not dead. Um, He's a businessman and author who was the president of Access Graphics, a computer system company that later became a subsidiary of Lockheed Martin. The company was located in Boulder, Colorado, hence the reason the family relocated there from Atlanta. John had two daughters and one son from a previous marriage. Sadly, one of his daughters died in a car crash in 1992. Patsy Ramsey was a former Miss West Virginia, and she was a well-educated suburban wife and mother. Patsy was viewed by the community as pleasant and influential, and she was best known for the lavish Christmas parties she threw every year, and of course, her beauty pageant-winning daughter, Jean Bonnet. One major red flag that aroused suspicion towards Patsy and John was that the police found no footprints in the fresh snow upon arrival at the crime scene. The police also found no signs of forced entry into the house or any indications of a possible intruder anywhere in the house. John claimed that an intruder must have entered the home through a broken window in the basement. However, Again, there were no signs of forced entry and no debris outside the window had been disturbed. Um, There were actually spider webs that could be seen in this window after when the police came through and did videos and the spider webs were completely undisturbed and there was no way someone could have come through this window without disturbing those. So fun little side note. John Ramsey did multiple things that morning that made people reconsider the innocence of this mild-mannered businessman. John and his neighbor, Fleet White, finally decided to search the house for anything unusual. That was about six hours after the 911 call was placed. And it was said to be the first time they had thought to thoroughly search the house for Jean Bonnet. As if not thinking to search your entire house thoroughly the moment you realized your child was missing wasn't weird enough, John coincidentally made a beeline straight for the basement cellar where he immediately found Jean Bonnet's body. According to Fleet White, John never turned on the light in the dark basement room, but seemed to find her wrapped up body with no trouble. Fleet said he could hardly see anything, much less a tiny body wrapped in a blanket in a dark, obscure corner of the room. Though John was specifically told to leave everything where he found it, he picked up John Bonet, carried her upstairs, removed a piece of tape from her mouth, and placed her down. He also covered her up with a throw blanket, which further destroyed vital physical evidence. It was at this point that police investigators began to believe that John perhaps knew too much. Many people thought it was very strange and a coincidence that he went directly to the body. However, some people thought that it was just father's intuition that led him straight to the unused part of the home. 
Investigators also found it suspicious how John and Patsy let the 10 a.m. deadline in the $118,000 ransom note slip by without a word. It was also thought a bit odd when John was overheard making arrangements to fly the family to Atlanta just hours after the murder. John later admitted to this, saying that they'd been asked to leave the house and he just wanted to go home to Atlanta, where they had lived for over 25 years. Innuendo of sexual abuse also began to circulate, although no evidence was ever found to prove these allegations. John later made a statement, and this is a quote directly from him, There is no history. A person doesn't go throughout their lives as a normal human being. One night, turn into a monster, slaughter their daughter, go to bed, and get up and act normal and go on from there. That doesn't happen. So that's John Ramsey. Now let's have a look at Mama Patsy. It was said by one of the FBI profilers on the case that Jean Benet had an issue with bedwetting. In fact, it was said that she wet the bed almost every night. However, she was never seen by a doctor for the problem, and it was never determined if it was a medical issue or caused by stress or possible abuse. Patsy was believed to be a very strict mother, and it was believed that she may have physically punished Jean Benet for peeing the bed. So, little side note about bedwetting. Bedwetting and toileting accidents are a leading cause of child abuse in the United States. Parental frustration is a very common response to bedwetting, and sadly has resulted with such extreme punishments as children being beaten, starved, being forced to sit in a chair all day, sleep in a bathtub, sit on an electric burner, stand for hours on an X on the kitchen floor, and so on, just to name a few. So the theory here is that while cleaning up yet another one of Jean Benet's bedwetting accidents, Patsy lost her temper and slammed the little girl's head against the side of a hard, blunt surface like the bathtub and accidentally killed her. Realizing Jean Benet was dead, Patsy panicked and then staged the kidnapping in order to cover the whole thing up. Patsy Ramsey said she was the first to know Jean Benet was missing when she found a two and a half page handwritten ransom note at the bottom of the staircase. So I know Mary went into that briefly, but I'm going to go ahead and read the entire ransom note because it's pretty interesting. So, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We do respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want to see her, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw 118000 from your account. 100000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining 18000 in 20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate-sized attaché to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier delivery pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. 
The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with the law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory. SBTC. That wasn't a short little note. What's SBTC? Do we know? I actually don't know what that even stands for. I can look it up. Oh, you're talking <laughs> later. But yeah, no, I mean, but it's just, it's like the longest note, quote unquote. Like, that's a full-blown letter. And there were, there were like rough drafts written. Yeah. So I'll look up what the SBTC stands for because I don't know that. But um so we'll talk a little more about that in a second. But Patsy was also the one who called 911, and we already heard the recording on that. So FBI profilers thought it was very odd that Patsy never mentioned Jean Benet's name during the call. Patsy also thought she ended the call, but the dispatcher was still on the line. Most people stay on the line with 911 because they feel like if they stay on the line that they are connected to the people who are coming to help them. Most people won't hang up until help arrives because they need that support from the dispatcher. Well, Patsy thought she hung up and she set the phone down and it just fell to the floor. So she thought the call was ended. But then the dispatcher claims she heard Patsy say, Okay, we've called the police. Now what? The dispatcher said that once um, that Patsy's tone changed completely from hysterical to very calm as soon as she thought the call had ended. Um, it has been speculated that Patsy also wrote the ransom note herself. First, it was written with Patsy's personal stationery and a pen, which were both returned to their original places in the house upon completion of the note. Profilers say that whoever wrote the note had a high ability of writing. Did I mention that Patsy majored in journalism in college? Profilers say that whoever wrote the note was most likely an adult over the age of 30, had a maternalistic style of writing. It was believed that the writer of the note was most likely a woman. Um, a handwriting analysis was conducted and also pointed to Patsy as the writer of the note. Um, and though it was very convincing, it was eventually found to be inconclusive. Another thing that pointed fingers in Patsy's direction was that Jean Benet was found with a rope around her neck and it was tightened by a homemade garret. 
Garrett Garrot? Garrot. Garrot. Boom. I knew I was going to say that wrong. (laughs) Anyway, it was determined that the Garrot was made from a length of nylon cord and a broken handle of a paintbrush and was tied around Jean Benet's neck and had apparently been used to strangle her. Part of the bristle end of the paintbrush was found in a tub containing Patsy's art supplies. But the bottom third of the paintbrush was never found, even though they did extensive searching of the house for it. So, yeah, the paintbrush came from Patsy's art supplies that were placed pretty close to where Jean Bonnet was found. In the years following the murder, <laughs> murder, in the years following the murder, Patsy always came across as extremely defensive about her daughter's murder. She once even had an all-out brawl with a naysayer on Larry King Live. While family friends insisted that Patsy adored Jean Benet and would never have put the little girl in harm's way, some bystanders came down hard criticizing Patsy for sexualizing a vulnerable child through a string of beauty pageants. In 1999, a Colorado grand jury had voted to indict John and Patsy. The indictment included two counts each of child abuse and said the parents did unlawfully, knowingly, recklessly, and feloniously permit a child to be unreasonably placed in a situation that posed a threat of injury to the child's life or health, which resulted in the death of Jean Benet Ramsey, a child under the age of 16. That's a mouthful. That's what she said, right? Anyway, um, <laughs> on October 13th, 1999, Alex Hunter, who was the district attorney at the time, refused to sign the indictment, saying the evidence was insufficient. This left the impression that the grand jury investigation had been inconclusive. And in 2002, the statute of limitations on the charges expired. Interestingly enough, John and Patsy's indictment was not known publicly until October 25th, 2013, when previously sealed court documents were released. On July 9th, 2008, John and Patsy were both formally exonerated as a result of newly developed DNA sampling and testing techniques. Sadly, Patsy did not live long enough to see her and John exonerated. She passed away in 2006 after a 13-year battle with ovarian cancer that eventually spread to her brain, and she took whatever secrets of that morning she had with her to the grave. After his wife's death, John reportedly met Beth Holloway while attending a fundraiser, and the two began dating. Now, if you're not familiar with who that is, Holloway was the mother of Natalie Holloway, an Alabama student who disappeared during a 2005 high school graduation trip to Aruba. It was pretty big in the news and stuff, but it's kind of interesting that those two dated. I guess they had a lot to talk about. However, Ramsey downplayed their relationship, saying they developed a friendship of respect and admiration out of common interests related to their children. In 2011, John married his third wife, Jan Rousseau, and still maintains his innocence. So yeah, that's mama and papa. It's kind of unbelievable. Yeah. There's, just, there's just so many things wrong with it, because, I mean... Not only did their stories change as they went to interviews and right. uh, that they talked, they did a TV interview, I believe on CNN or something, mm-hmm. before they even talked to the police. Yeah. 
They well, refused they were, to talk to the, the police were individually. They were super uncooperative. Yeah, yeah. they did the and, media circuit before yeah. they sat yeah. down with the investigators. They, yeah, they, finally their lawyers were like, you need to cooperate. But the other thing that I forgot to mention was on the day of the disappearance, John was, like, people noticed he was gone a lot. Mm-hmm. For like, like an hour, for like hour, hour and a half, hour like and a half. He'll, he would just come and go and just disappear. And it's like nobody really paid attention to where he was. So Well, that goes back to how flawed the investigation was done at the house. Right. Well, and then the yeah. room they actually found her body in, a cop went down there, like looking at the house, and there was like a little rinky-dinky latch on the door. And he was like, oh, better not go in there. Like, yeah. What the hell? <laughs> Ooh, it's latched oh, oh. for a reason. <laughs> That's where the ghosts are. Like, good lord. I don't know. It's all. I don't there. like basements either, so I can't really. Uh... <laughs> yeah, no. I would send someone else to search the basement. <laughs> I would be like in a haunted TV show or movie. Like you just flick on the light. Yeah, I look down there. And... <laughs> yeah, looks clear. All good. And then. Obviously, if something is found, I've been like, well, I obviously looked. That was not there. I'd be like, look, Scooby, there's the body. We found it. Okay, well, that takes us to Pam and your possible suspect. Yes. Hi. Hello. Hey. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Getting a little uh, freaky here with Mary across the room. Thank you. She's mine, Pam. But we're getting pretty close Ooh. now. <laughs> really? Because your boob just touched my arm. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so um, I'm going to be talking about Jean Benet's brother, Burke. So Burke Ramsey was born in 1987. So he was nine years old when Jean Benet was killed. He was the apple of his mother's eye until Jean Benet was born. Being a former beauty pageant competitor herself, Patsy was thrilled to have a little girl to carry on her legacy. And as we know from every kind of news story that came out at that time, all the pictures were always from beauty pageants. And it's a little frustrating because it seems like people cared more because of that. Um, This beautiful little girl um, when really any any human deserves that. Yeah, exactly. So some theorists believe that this preference to Jean Bonnet led to Burke lashing out at her multiple times. This included hitting Jean Bonnet in the face with a golf club after losing his temper with her only about a year before her death. This left a scar across her cheek as well. So forensic pathologists have theorized that Burke had several mental problems, especially after discovering his abnormal behavior of smearing feces around the home. The housekeeper revealed that Burke had spread feces on the bathroom wall. Um, he left feces in John Bonet's bed, not like a little smear, like actual big old piles. Yeah. That was basically his toilet. <laughs> yes. And he also spread them all over um, her Christmas presents. So um, after the police came, and they had kind of taped off her room and they were investigating. They found some of her Christmas presents that had shit smeared on them from him. So obviously he had some issues. So in photographs taken of the Ramsey household after the crime, you find a lot of different things going on here that lead to Burke as 
the killer. So first of all, there had been a flashlight on the table close to the, um, or sorry, on the side table close to the actual dining room table. And there has been evidence showing that this flashlight, a blow from it could have been what caused um, her blow to the head that contributed to her death. Also, and here's where I go a little crazy on this story. Um, There was a bowl of pineapple with a spoon in it on the kitchen table. So the bowl and the spoon were discovered covered in Burke's fingerprints. Also, Patsy and John's fingerprints were also on the bowl. But both of them claim they never gave the kids pineapple that night, either of them, and adamantly maintained that Burke had not been out of his bedroom since they got home from a Christmas party that night. They maintained they came home from the Christmas party, put the children to bed, woke up Jean Benet to make sure she went to the bathroom because of her bedwetting, and she went back to sleep, and the entire house went back to sleep um, until we uh, meet up with um, what Mary was talking about where uh, Patsy goes downstairs in the morning and finds the note. So there is, um, in her autopsy, in John Bonet's autopsy, they found that she had undigested pineapple in her system, despite everyone in the family saying she never had any. This also was digested enough to have been eaten between one to two hours before her death. So pretty quickly before her death. So again, John and Patsy claimed they got home from the Christmas party, put the children to bed. They claimed that Burke stayed in his bedroom asleep all the way until the police showed up the next day. So after the frantic phone call, after the frantic 911 call we heard, and all of those things. So Burke Ramsey gave his first interview ever, other than the police interviews, um, all the way in 2016. So quite a while after his sister's death, um, he went on Dr. Phil. And he recalled the night that his mother came rushing into his room, or I guess it would be the morning, um, after discovering that John Bonet wasn't in her bed. So he claims that Patsy burst into his room shouting, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, running around the room, supposedly looking for something. Now Burke obviously knows it was his sister. He said the next thing that he remembers is a police officer coming into his room and shining a flashlight. I find his terminology really odd because he talks about his mother bursting in in the night and a policeman with a flashlight in his face. So if this really was the morning after, there wouldn't be need for flashlights and things like that. So in 2016, there was a highly controversial documentary on CBS called The Case of John Bonet Ramsey. Uh, one of the contributors to this is Jim Clemente. Drink. <laughs> yes, drink, everybody. <laughs> drink. So in this documentary, so this documentary came out just a few days after Burke's interview on Dr. Phil. So the um, the documentarians, which again included Jim Clemente and other um, actual FBI investigators, it also included several forensic pathologists and psychologists and things like that. So they claim that Patsy had left Burke with the bowl of pineapple and some tea, and that when Jean Bonnet attempted to sneak some of that fruit later, it angered Burke and he struck her with the flashlight, killing her. So they claim that Jean Bonnet got up to use the bathroom, snuck downstairs to get some of the fruit. And that's when Burke 
essentially killed her. Now, there's a very, very large following of people that don't think he did it on purpose. Um, They think he just lost his temper, got angry. She was trying to take his food and he hit her. Um, There were also some red marks on on her lower back where they claim his toy train set fits perfectly up against there and that he poked her to see if she was alive when he realized she wasn't moving. So this, this, that was new and came out just a few years ago with this 2016 documentary. So the investigators that were contributing to this documentary, they're not actually on the case, but they are investigators and they are forensic psychologists and, and things like that. So they do believe that they got home from the Christmas party, John Bonet went to sleep again, got up, came downstairs. But this is how um, they believe that Patsy and John's fingerprints got on not only the tea, but also the bowl of pineapple. So they got it out. They got it ready for him, then put John Bunny to bed. So the investigators on this documentary also point to the lack of the Ramseys getting involved with the case as very atypical since most families in these situations are desperate to resolve the case and just like Sarah said it was you know they were really uncooperative they didn't even want to give actual interviews and Patsy's reasoning for that was that they felt if they gave interviews then any other uh, outside suspects wouldn't even be looked into which is a little suspicious in itself. I mean, if your interview is going to make them only look at you, yeah, probably a little suspicious. So um, there is also DNA evidence that was found on Jean Benet's underwear. And um, this is where Mary was talking about how there could have been a sexual assault, but no rape. And that is because of this evidence that was found so there wasn't any found on her body or anything like that with the rape kit but they did find um, dna evidence on her panties now they say that can be touch dna evidence right with um, Mm -hmm. different oils and stuff like that from your skin that they can pull evidence or dna from so this dna had actually been used to rule out all three of the ramses as involved But experts in this documentary showed how the DNA could have been transferred during manufacturing and packaging of the underwear. So it could have been a random factory workers. Again, just because there's DNA there doesn't mean it had anything to do with her Mm -hmm. actually dying. So... So going back to the 911 call, um, I'm going to kind of dovetail off some of the stuff that Sarah talked about, because for me, this is one of the most damning parts. So there is an extra six seconds of audio at the very end of the call. And this is where the 911 operator, like Sarah said, had said that Patsy's voice went from frantic to calm and controlled. So on this documentary specifically, they use some modern technology for isolating noises, voice recognition, that sort of thing. So they uncovered voices of three people having a short conversation after Patsy thought she had hung up. So this is after she had dropped the phone. And like Sarah said, the 911 operator kept the call connected so she could hear better. So um, the investigators believe that they can hear John saying, we're not speaking to you. And then Patsy says, what did you do? Help me, Jesus. They also claim that Burke can be heard asking, what did you find? Even though his parents have always claimed he was asleep during this whole time. And then as Sarah said, the very first thing they had said, 
that she had said was, okay, we called the police, now what? Okay, so the 911 operator, she told this to investigators, okay, and they told her that there was a gag order regarding the case until it went to court, but it never did go to court. And she was never asked to testify to the grand jury in 1999. So she really feels like it would have turned the case around. She feels like she heard these things being said. And then in the documentary, with those different noise isolating programs and things like that, they were able to corroborate that. Shortly after this documentary came out, Burke actually sued CBS and a bunch of other people for um, $150 million in punitive and um, compensatory damages. (laughs) (laughs) they also filed a civil lawsuit as well for another 500 million dollars a little bit crazy yes (laughs) so he's yeah so he's wanting almost a billion dollars here for this which is ridiculous Mm -hmm. burke is really creepy and (laughs) if you guys ever watch any of his interviews he's always smiling very awkwardly and he doesn't really seem to be bothered by very much um he was interviewed later by an author specifically about his dr phil interview and there are a lot of things that he mentions where well i'm nervous i smile a lot when i'm nervous um when he's asked you know you didn't seem that upset about it he continues to claim you know i was upset at the time i got over it different things like that so to this day he proclaims his innocence in my unprofessional opinion (laughs) he got mad at her struck her with the flashlight killed her Uh, his mother realized what happened and realized well one of her children was dead so i need to do what i can to save the other one and this is where sarah and my stories completely intertwine Mm -hmm. uh because it seems pretty obvious that she wrote the ransom note, yep. right? Their stories aren't matching up, right? Just like Larissa was saying earlier, a lot of the back and forth with the stories, sometimes it's at night, sometimes it's in the morning. Burke was asleep the whole time, but then he wasn't. A lot of different things like that. Unfortunately, there's no 100% solid evidence of holding the flashlight you know fingerprints on that those things that specifically point to him and as sarah was saying earlier um, the indictments never came down for several different reasons unfortunately there's only so much we can speculate in that case but i highly recommend you guys check out this documentary again the case of john bonnet ramsey it's amazing it's mm-hmm. it's incredible and they actually recreate they take a child who was nine years old and about the same or sorry same um, height build everything like that as Burke and they actually take a skull well a fake skull obviously but um, one that a forensic investigator would use and a flashlight that was exactly like the one that was found and they recreate that yes in fact he could have had the strength at the time to deliver that blow and kill her so there's a lot of things like that that they recreate and kind of show Mm -hmm. it was definitely possible for it to happen and um, in terms of the parents covering it up this is where a lot of their you know going back and forth not giving interviews that kind of thing because as we know the more someone gets interviewed the more their stories unravel and especially when you have three people trying to keep the same story together and uh, a child and it's yeah and one of them a child it it doesn't it's not going to end well so 
I think it was Burke. <laughs> Mic drop. That is Pam's own personal opinion, not of the podcast. <laughs> um, yes, he can try to sue me. I have no say, money to take, bro. <laughs> Yeah, and I think what was odd, I, I watched a couple of his interviews that he did with uh, social workers mm-hmm. and, and things, and yeah, he, when he was, was younger. not distraught there either. No, no. he was not. He, and he it, claims... It's like it, was a, he, it was like he got dropped off from school or just some... <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he claims that was because in the meetings with like some of the other police and attorneys, he would break down crying then. So I guess that means you're not going to cry later. <laughs> I don't know. If you've ever lost somebody very important to you, there's no limit to that crying no. and that grief. Well, especially uh, that young, like you wouldn't exactly. yeah. control it. And where they were saying, like, when you're angry, when you're pissed off and you're into that white flame, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You you have super strength. So even oh, regardless yeah. of his age. And she's a little kid. He has a couple years on her. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he bashed her face the year when he was a the year younger yeah. and scarred her with a golf club. So it's interesting. Also, regarding the note where you were saying she she wrote the note, a lot you can go up down a rabbit hole just on <laughs> the oh, yeah. ransom note mm-hmm. itself. But there was a ton of different comparisons, like from her writing a spontaneous note, and in the spontaneous note, the ransom note and her just quickly writing something matched up, like pretty pretty close but they also had just like normal notes they found around the house like a london letter from john and they like compared all that but yeah i mean all of the information out there does really point to her Mm -hmm. and just like certain terms but something else that i wrote down was in regards to the note first off the the people who took her you know who left the note (laughs) they used a pad and a notepad and a pen found in the home like if you're there to kidnap you want to get in and out you're not going to take your time and dilly dally and look for a notepad and a pen and sit down (laughs) and why take her to the basement right uh if it is a botched kidnapping Uh why are you going to take her down there and throw her i don't know yeah and And her terminology in the note matched yeah uh, like some of her old co-workers said well she used this phrase quite Uh a lot (laughs) Well, and even the house was a maze. They redecorated it multiple times, and and Mm -hmm. it wasn't a a normal layout. And so you would have to understand the house in order to know that that room was even there. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's why he found her. Yeah. Well, and then let's just point out the fact who puts the paper and the pen back Mm -hmm. afterwards. Well, and something else about the (laughs) notepad is it had, like, you know, her notes on top of it and whatnot. Right. But there was practice pages that they could tell yeah they could that tell were that there were out. drafts yeah. mm-hmm. of the and notes. they've never found the four practice papers <laughs> which is hilarious because it's insane. a two-page note like yeah. you practice writing a two-page note while you're kidnapping a Listen. little girl you think you'd practice that before you even got there i would there? have yeah, cramps writing like write it. cramp yeah. you would yeah. write it before you got there yeah. well, so exactly. you could just drop it off and you wouldn't write it like you just wouldn't you'd type it or you yeah. would i'd leave a post it like wait for an email <laughs> i'll text well, you that, sometime I'll tomorrow snapchat you later and in oh, that snapchat's same... perfect because it disappears oh. unless pam who takes a screenshot of every snapchat <laughs> 
Pam was unaware that it notifies the person who sends a snap. Oh my god, that's right. I was dating this really cute guy. Oh no. And I, I was I was only I was new to Snapchat. I only screenshotted so I could I, and this is true. I only screenshotted so I could get a good picture for his contact uh-huh. photo in my phone. But I took like fifteen of them and he blocked me. He totally blocked me. It was a bummer. So we know what type of Snapchats he was sending and she was getting but um yeah she was shocked when i was like i can tell when you take a screenshot she's like no you can't like you were always screenshotting the the corgis when i send her a picture listen like, i will screenshot those corgis till the goddamn day but yeah, I die. No. and she's like what and so she did it and i showed her it's like oh yeah. pam has taken a snap oh, that's yeah. why hunter doesn't that's why he's not on my list anymore all right, you guys, that was a really, really good part one of this episode. And we will discuss part two next week. Say bye. Bye. bye.